Okay, well, I just thought at the start um, I'd be a li- try and make this a little interactive. So, here's, I'm going to begin with a question, and I'd like you to offer some answers, okay? There are no wrong answers. This is purely your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own opinions. So, why do we come to church, anybody? Why do we come to church? Anne? To the, a, the same aim being? To worship together, but okay. to gain inspiration and encouragement from Okay, great. So, so to worship together and to gain encouragement and inspiration. Any other reasons we come to church? I like it. <laughs> because you like it. That's a good reason. Okay. Any other reasons we come to church? Sarah? come to church to pray and support each other. To pray and support each other. These are all good reasons. These are all, these are all great reasons. And... Um, There's a brilliant quote attributed to um, Abraham Lincoln, which goes like this, thinking about Sunday mornings. And he said, if all the people who fell asleep in church on a Sunday morning were laid out end to end, they would be a great deal more comfortable. (laughs) Now, I really hope that doesn't apply here. But uh, I, I think, really, what we've said is that in many different ways, we come together on a Sunday morning to encounter God in worship, in word, in prayer, in bread and wine, in fellowship. In all these different ways, we come together to encounter God through Jesus, his son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God, I think, is what we really seek. God with us, God in us. God healing us, God teaching us, God comforting us, God strengthening us, God equipping us, God loving us, God touching us. I think that's why I come to church. So what's that got to do with the passage we just heard read, the latest passage in this series we're doing from Paul's letter to the first letter to the church in Corinth all this strange stuff about gifts of tongues and gifts of prophecy what on earth has it got to do with that well actually quite a bit so let's look at this passage grab a church bible page number 1154 um, if you haven't yet and once again we'll be looking at the whole chapter so it'll be useful to uh, have a bible in front of you first of all if you want to sum up the whole of chapter 14 in one sentence, then actually it's quite easy. Both Paul the Apostle and the translators of the New International Version of the Bible have made it really easy. You just need to take the first ten words of the first verse of the chapter, there they are, and add them to the last verse of the chapter, and you have it in one sentence. Follow the way of love, Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's it in a nutshell. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, you remember, possibly, from chapter 12, that everyone is special, we learned. That the Spirit gives gifts to every believer And here, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church to eagerly desire, 
to seek after spiritual gifts, but to use them in a fitting and orderly way, which is the way of love. So what do you think that tells us about what was going on in the church in Corinth? Were the gifts of the Spirit being used in a fitting and orderly way? No. No surprises there then. Because you'll remember that this long letter which Paul has written to the church in Corinth is partly a response to reports of quarrelling within the church and partly a response to a letter that the church had sent to Paul detailing a whole number of issues which they wanted his advice, clarification on. And what's happening, if you'll remember, is that the culture of the city of Corinth, which was all about promoting oneself and puffing oneself up, was leaking into church culture and in the use of spiritual gifts. So Christians were showing off, as it were, their God-given spiritual gifts in ways which were unhelpful. And between the first verse and the last verse of this chapter, Paul focuses in on two particular spiritual gifts, namely the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. So, I'm briefly going to cover what are these gifts, how do they differ, and finally, what can we take away from this chapter and put to good use in our Christian lives? Well, the first thing to note is what Paul says here, that he said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So these God-given gifts are good, whether it's healing or prophecy or tongues or whatever the spiritual gift is, they are for, the, for good purposes. So we shouldn't be afraid of them, we shouldn't avoid them, in fact, we should eagerly desire them. So what are these two gifts about, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy? I hope you can see that, I've, the writing's gone a bit smaller on the slide. Well, what they have in common is that they, are, they both involve speaking. But to be honest, that's about the only thing they have in common. Because as Paul writes in verse 2 of, of that chapter, the gift of tongues involves speaking to God. And we all know that speaking to God is praying, isn't it? So the spiritual gift of tongues is when the Holy Spirit gives us a new prayer language in order to speak to God. By contrast, in verse 3, he writes, anyone who prophesies speaks to men. In other words, the gift of prophecy is about speaking to others. So prophecy brings a word from God to the gathered congregation in the church. And although the gift of tongues does involve speaking, it is, as Paul says, unintelligible to other people. When we speak in tongues, we're speaking to God in a kind of angelic prayer language that only God can understand. Now there are exceptions to this, which Paul addresses later on, we'll come to, but I'm giving you the rule. Generally, when a person prays in tongues, no one else knows what they are saying. By contrast, prophecy, because it's in human languages, in our case English, actually encourages people, strengthens, encourages and comforts people, Paul says in verse 3. Verse 4 tells us, that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. In other words, tongues is for my own good. It's it's to build me up in in my faith. 
Again, in contrast, prophecy edifies the church, writes Paul. It's for everyone's benefit. It's for the good of others. And so what Paul is saying is that generally the gift of tongues is for private use, but the gift of prophecy is for public use and builds up the church. And in verse 5, Paul makes no bones about it. He says, look, he kind of says, I'd be thrilled if you all spoke in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. He who prophesies, he says, is greater than he who speaks in tongues. That's pretty clear from Paul, isn't it? Prophecy is greater, tongues is lesser. And in this verse 5, Paul slips in the exception to the rule. He says, prophecy is greater unless the person interprets, so that the church may be edified. So generally tongues is for private use, except when the speaker of the tongue or another person is able to interpret it, in which case it then becomes like prophecy. And that interpretation is another spiritual gift which we covered, or at least we, we was listed in chapter 12. The only other context for the public use of tongues is in sung worship. When led by the Spirit, believers sing out in this angelic language. And when it is truly from the Spirit, all the tongues blend together into an amazing harmony. It's beautiful to hear. But it's not hard to see why Paul is addressing issues in the church in Corinth. Remember, Corinth, the city of entrepreneurs, of self-promotion, of aiming to stand out from the crowd. So we can reasonably deduce that some believers who've been given the gift of tongues by the Holy Spirit for use in their prayer life are flaunting it in the church congregation in order to appear super spiritual. And this is understandably upsetting some of the other believers who don't have the gift. And so from verse 6 all the way to verse 17, Paul goes into a long explanation as to why it's unhelpful to speak in tongues in the church assembly. And he concludes that explanation in verse 18 when he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. What can we deduce from that? Well, For a start, it's almost certain that Paul himself never used the gift of tongues in the gathered church. He only used it privately. But since he claimed to use it more than any of them, we can deduce that he uses it very frequently in his own personal devotions. Now, I'm probably well aware that at this point, some of you may be sitting in the church this morning thinking, Pads, I don't really know what on earth you're talking about. What on earth is this gift of tongues. What's the point of it? I mean, I can pray perfectly well on my own in words that I understand. So what is it all about? And that's a very good question. But there's also a good answer, in fact. And that is that there are times when we want to pray, when we need to pray, when we feel a burden to pray for something really important, something that either really matters to us or we feel that God has laid it on our hearts. But after a few minutes, we simply run out of words to say. Our language is limited. We want to pray, but we've just dried up. 
And this is where the gift of tongues can be so helpful. The Holy Spirit gracefully gave me the gift of tongues in 2004 when I was in a situation where my back was up against the wall, metaphorically speaking, and I desperately needed the gift. But what I want to tell you about now is a time a few years later when my dad was dangerously ill in hospital. He had a hemorrhage in a part of his respiratory system. And he was in danger of drowning internally in his own blood. And my mother and my sister and myself, we were sitting around his bed in the hospital. The doctors did everything they could through the course of the long evening and, 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 and into the night. The flow of blood uh, stopped and it started. We nearly lost him on several occasions. It went on for hours. And I was sitting at the foot of the bed praying using words like, Lord, please stop the bleed. Lord, please heal my dad. Please. But I soon ran out of words. And so I started praying in tongues. Not so anyone could hear me, but just quietly under my breath. And I found I could just go on praying and praying and praying right through the evening, right into the night. Eventually, They decided to risk an operation. This was about one in the morning, which was by no means certain to work. And they took him off to surgery, and I kept on praying. I cannot tell you what a relief and a joy it was to pray in tongues that night. Because instead of just sitting there anxiously wringing my hands in the waiting room, waiting to hear news of my dad, I could go into battle in the heavenly places on my dad's behalf and keep him before God until we got the news that they had been successful. I was so grateful for the gift of tongues. So it's a good thing, but it's largely for personal private use rather than use in church. In the church, Paul encourages them to use the gift of prophecy, which is when believers offer words to the congregation, words they feel have been given them by the Holy Spirit for the church. And he says, two or three prophets should speak, The others should weigh carefully what is said. So we don't automatically assume that just because someone brings a word that it is of God, we weigh it in our hearts, we weigh it against Scripture, does it agree with the word of God? And if it seems good, we accept it as a prophetic word. Very often, prophecy will be a verse straight from Scripture, some words straight from the Bible. And the Holy Spirit has simply put those words, that verse, on our hearts in order that we share them with the assembled gathering for strengthening, encouraging, or comforting, as we heard earlier. Sometimes it won't be scripture, just some word of knowledge given to the person specifically for someone else. And there's a really interesting, I don't know if you noticed in the gospel reading, there was a fascinating scene because Jesus has a prophetic word for Nathaniel calling him an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he says that he saw him under the fig tree. And this was before Jesus had ever met him. And the effect on Nathaniel is so powerful that he is instantly converted to becoming a follower of Jesus. So prophetic words can be really powerful. An example closer to home was when my wife Kirsty was at a small gathering a few years ago. The speaker said, I believe that the Lord is calling some woman here to ordained ministry in the church. And Kirsty said that as she received that word, it felt like someone had punched her in the solar plexus. 
She was horrified. She looked around the room hoping that the word was for someone else. But that prophetic word was the first of a number of indications she received which led her to explore a vocation to ordain ministry. So you can see that these spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy are good. They're to be eagerly desired, says Paul. And I would encourage everyone and anyone to desire and seek and pray for the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or any of the other spiritual gifts which are listed in this letter. And I would love to see the gift of prophecy used more often in Sunday services, in home groups, in any situation where the church is gathered, large or small. So during a church service, I am completely open to you approaching me or whoever else is leading the service. If you feel the Lord has laid something on your heart to share with the congregation, if you feel that, it's good to share what you want to say, just whisper it to the service leader first so that the service leader could help you discern if it's a prophetic word or not. But don't be shy. I would love to see this gift used more often in the church. Just before I close, I would like to say a quick word about verse 34 in this chapter because it has been the source of much misunderstanding, upset and misapplication over the years. And I'll read it out and then you'll understand why. This is what it says. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. This verse has been used by men particularly, obviously, and by whole denominations to explain why women should not be pastors or preachers or vicars or teachers or priests, because Paul the Apostle says that they should remain silent. They're not allowed to speak. Let me tell you that I believe passionately that this is not what he meant when he wrote those words. In fact, it cannot be what he meant because just three chapters earlier, he goes to great lengths to explain how women should speak in the church, how they should prophesy, how they should pray. And so he absolutely affirms a public ministry for women in the church. The clue as to why he wrote these words, I think, is to be found in the next verse, verse 35, when he writes this. He says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. In other words, it seems likely that what's been happening is that there's been some heckling, that some women in Corinth, in the Corinthian church, have been calling out and questioning the speaker or even challenging the speaker which in a society where women were considered subservient to men would have been extremely rude or disgraceful, as Paul calls it. So I want to just say that if you ever hear anyone trying to use that verse to exempt women from church ministry, don't wear it. It's not what Paul meant. Remember, he was responding to questions of church order put to him in a letter the Corinthians had sent to him. Context is everything. You have to understand each and every verse in the context of the whole letter. And three chapters earlier, Paul has affirmed women's ministry within the church. Fascinating, isn't it? So, back to the whole point of this chapter. Spiritual gifts are good gifts from God, given to us by the Holy Spirit to build us up in the faith, 
as individuals and as a church family. God loves us. He wants to equip us with these gifts so that we're to eagerly desire them. That means to pray to God, to ask him to give you these gifts. The gift of tongues is more usually for private use, although it can be used publicly if it's interpreted. Or the New Testament church from time to time used to sing in tongues as well. But the gift of prophecy is a greater gift because prophecy is intelligible. We know what God is saying to us when someone prophesies. Like the case of Nathaniel in our reading, prophecy brings people to faith in Jesus and there's no greater gift than that. I want to invite any of you this morning, if you'd like to say to God this morning that you earnestly desire these gifts of the Spirit, then can I suggest that after you've taken the bread and wine of communion, if you'd like to, perhaps go up to the prayer ministry team at the back, ask them to pray with you to receive those gifts. You don't have to do that. You can simply pray to God yourself and ask him to give you the gifts. But God loves it when we come to him and ask him. Listen to these words, which I'm going to finish with from Luke's Gospel. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's ask. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us good gifts for, the, for our benefit and for the benefit of the whole church. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us each an eager desire for these gifts so that we can use them to build one another up. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. Impart these gifts to us so that we can use them for your kingdom and your glory. Amen.